one of the uh, one of the great struggles back in the early church was allowing Gentiles to come in to what God's what God was doing. Uh, the Jews really had great difficulty absorbing that, taking that in. Uh, what are these Gentiles doing here in that which is supposedly a Jewish-owned uh, business or family? And so in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about this work that God had done in bringing Jews and Gentiles together in one family and one body. And, um, and then in chapter 3, verse 7, he has just mentioned the gospel. And he says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And I'm sure you remember how Paul became a believer. He was a man who hated Jesus Christ. He hated the, the true God. He hated this new thing that had arisen called Christianity. And um, he was persecuting Christians, and all of a sudden God more or less just zapped Paul and opened his eyes to the truth. And Paul uh, understood the bad news about himself and the good news of what God had done for him through Jesus. And he became a believer instantaneously. Just God saved him. And so he said, of this gospel, I was made a minister. Because when God saved him, God also called him to go out and proclaim the gospel to others. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. And Paul always said that about, about himself, that he was the least of the saints because he persecuted the church. And um, he mentions, it's a, mentions it again here. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And Paul would say that he was the spokesman to the Gentiles. Uh, that's the calling he had. Interesting, whenever Paul went to a city, and I cannot imagine, and I don't know if you can imagine coming to Macon, Georgia, and not having one Christian in the city of Macon, Georgia. But when Paul went into a city, and you can follow him on his missionary journeys, he knew that everywhere he went, he would not find anybody who had heard about Jesus. And he would have to go, and and the first place he went, where did he always stop first? The synagogue. Always went to the synagogue because there were believing Jews there. And so he would go in and he'd preach and tell them that the Messiah had come and explain the whole story. And he would last maybe two weeks, three weeks before they'd throw him out. And then he'd find another place to meet and he'd continue preaching. And that's the way churches were established. And he would train leaders. Then he'd go on to another city where he'd have to face the same thing. So he is mentioning that, um, verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of 
of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. To me, that's one of the most interesting passages in the Bible. Why is it interesting? Because it's the only place in the Bible that tells us what God is really doing with all of this. It's the only place in the Bible that tells us God's purpose in doing what God is doing in the world today. What is God doing in the world today? God is bringing to himself a people to be his own. And this 10th verse explains why he's doing that. Everybody got a Bible there? There are Bibles on the table. Come on, I don't want you to just listen. I want you to look. Good, I got one man with a Bible. Oh, and I got two ladies here. Okay. The pastors over here don't need Bibles. They've got it all memorized. Okay, but did you see verse 10? This is, to me, an incredible verse because it explains why God is doing what he's doing. Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Question, who are the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? Who are they? Am I speaking English? Who are they? Angels. Angels. Now, so get what Paul is saying here, and, and Paul was inspired by God, or the writing was inspired by God. He says that God is showing forth his, what's the word that's used in the text? What is God making known? His wisdom. He's making known his wisdom to whom? To the angels, how's he doing it? Through the church. church. Everybody see that? This is a huge statement. This is a huge statement. Obviously, and this goes back to the creation. When God created the heavens and the earth, he created a variety of beings. He created spirit beings that are called angels. And he created this universe, physical universe, this planet Earth, and he placed on this planet Earth a variety of life forms, the highest life form being human beings, creating man in his own image. And when God created angels, he created them to serve him. And one of those angels, we know him as Lucifer, as Satan, as the devil, as the prince of the power of the air, as the god of this world. He has many names. But that angel was created by God with free will, as the other angels were, and that angel 
it seems, made the decision that he could take over and do a better job of running things than God was doing. As soon as that thought went through his mind, God judged him, but God, and God kicked him out. And it seems like a whole lot of other angels followed this leader. And they are now known as what? Demons. Demons. And so God had created the man. And right after he created Adam, he said, Adam, and he planted this garden for Adam. And it was a a paradise. And he put Adam there. And he said, Adam, you have access. You're free to enjoy the fruit of every tree except the fruit of this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat the fruit of that tree, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to put you to death. You're going to be punished for disobeying me. Again, it was a test. Adam, do you realize that I'm God, that I created you, that I am the one you listen to? I'm your authority in life. You're not the boss. Do you understand that? And Adam, if you obey me in this, I'll realize that you understand that. That was the only negative command God gave him. Then God created the woman. God told Adam, be fruitful and multiply. And all of that is in Genesis 2. In Genesis 3, we, we read that the tempter came to the man and the woman. They were in the garden, and he began talking. And this is a, a serpent who's talking to the woman. And obviously, the spirit being that we know of is Satan, indwelled the serpent, controlled the vocal cords, the mechanism of the serpent, and spoke to the woman in some kind of language that she could understand, and told her that she would improve her lot if she did what God told them not to do. Adam was right next to her, and so she disobeyed God, and Adam did the same thing, and everything changed at that moment. Uh, Those people that had been created very good suddenly became corrupted. Those people that had been created in sync with God, connected to God, in a good relationship, right relationship with God, suddenly were disconnected from God. They no longer have a relationship with God. The spirit within them died. They're still alive physically, but the spirit within them died, so they're no longer connected to God. Later on, they would die physically, and then there's eternal death. All of that was brought into the world because of their disobedience. And what they did has come down to all of us so that I came into the world physically alive. You came into the world physically alive, but we were spiritually dead, disconnected from God. God, of course, had already worked out this scenario in his own mind. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so as soon as they sinned, God showed up in the garden. And God pronounced the... First of all, Genesis 3.15, he pronounced judgment, the curse on the serpent. And the serpent lost his legs so that snakes now crawl. Before that, they had legs. But then God made the promise in Genesis 3.15 of the Savior. And he spoke about the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman in that verse. And that the seed of the woman would crush the head of Satan, but that Satan would bruise his heel. That's when Christ went to the cross. So back then you have God proclaiming the gospel. 
right there in the garden, that he was going to send someone who would overcome the curse. We don't know the timing of creation. What we read of next is that, well, it's interesting, in Genesis 5:29, Lemek had a son, he named him Noah, thinking that Noah was the, the Messiah. He called him Noah, which means comfort, saying this one will give us comfort from the curse that God has put on the land. But he was right about the thought, and you have to understand the people back there, those who believed that God was going to send this one, were saved through faith, grace through faith, just like we are today. So they understood, I'm just doing a study on the Chinese gospel, how that the gospel had gone to the Chinese people, as I'm explaining to you today. And how, you know, I have got about three minutes. I'm, t- I'm done at what time? 12 minutes. Okay, I better not go into Chinese. I better not go into Chinese gospel then. <laughs> you know what? The, you know, the Chinese has pictographs. That's my wife. Chinese language is in, in, in pictures. And you know what the word for righteousness in Chinese is? The picture? It is a lamb, a picture of a lamb over me. Goes back 4,000 or 5,000 years. Is that incredible? A lamb over me brings righteousness. Is that incredible? Interesting? Anyway, I can't go into that. (laughs) Anyway, somewhere around 2170 B.C., God chose Abram. And he said, Abram, I'm going to do what I'm going to do through you. And in Genesis 12, 3, you have God promising. In fact, Paul says that God preached the gospel to Abraham when he said, Abraham, One of your descendants is going to bring blessing to the whole world. And that was the promise of the Messiah to Abraham. And Abraham and Sarah had a son named Isaac. God reiterated the promise to Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, and they have two sons, Esau and Jacob. And God said, the promise doesn't go to Esau, it goes to Jacob. Jacob grows up. God changed his name to what? Israel. He has 12 boys. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. And then Genesis 49, before Jacob dies, he calls his boys in, and he gives the blessing to Judah. The Messiah is going to come through Judah. And then later on, God chooses David of the tribe of Judah, of the nation Israel, and said, the Messiah is going to be born through you. And so God put all of this together because He was going to bring into the world the Lamb of God who would overcome the two problems that Adam and Eve had brought into the world, sin and death problems. I came into the world with a sin nature. My sin nature produces sins. An apple tree produces apples because it's an apple tree. I produced sin because it had a basic core in me that was sinful. And God, being the ultimate in terms of righteousness, could not accept me the way I was. God, being the ultimate in terms of justice, has to punish my crimes against him. And I've committed more crimes against God than I could ever imagine in my thoughts, words, and deeds. 
And the punishment is eternal separation from God and all that is good. And that's why God did this whole work, this whole plan. He worked it so that we could have life with him. God has to punish my crimes. And in his grace for me, in his love for me, he provided a substitute. Yesterday, I did a little evangelism deal here for some of the staff. And I talked about the wonderful pictures in the Old Testament of a substitute. The Passover lamb was a substitute. God told, as they were leaving Egypt, God told the head of the household to kill a lamb, take the blood, put it out by the doorpost. When the death angel comes that night, he sees the blood, he will pass over that house and not kill the firstborn. There was death all over Egypt except where the Jews put the blood. The Jew understood the lamb died, my firstborn didn't die. When they got in the land, God said, okay, we're going to build a tabernacle, and I want you to bring your animals there, and you're going to put your head on your animal, confess your sins, and you're going to kill the animal, and the priest will take the animal and gut it and take the fat and throw it on the altar, but you're going to know the animal dies, you don't die. Yom Kippur, the same thing, a, a bull, the high priest killed a bull, he killed a lamb, they, they sprinkled the blood over the mercy seat, and they understood the bull died, the lamb, we don't die, the day of atonement. So God was trying to teach the Jews substitution. They never got it. Never got it. They missed it. And God promised that through David, the Messiah would be born. He tells us through Isaiah, this would be God himself. We know him as God the Son, who became a human being 2,000 years ago, born to the Virgin Mary, as it had been prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah 7:14, that the Messiah was born in Israel to the Nation Israel, tribe of Judah, the family of David, just as God had said. And he came not simply to teach God's truth, not simply to heal people, but he came to die. And the big deal was that all of us had been sold into the slave market of sin and death. And there's nothing any of us could do to get ourselves out or to help anybody else out. Amen. Satan had destroyed all of mankind. And God was saying, God was demonstrating because the angels, the question is, does God have what it takes to do anything about what Satan has ruined? God had ruined God's creation, ruined God, Satan had ruined God's creation. And so God said, let me show you what I'm going to do and how I'm going to, at the same time, satisfy my own righteous demands, my just demands, and yet show forth the fact that I am the ultimate in terms of love. And so God the Father drew up the plan. God the Son became a man, lived a perfect life, and went to the cross. And, you know, this is something I never understood as I was growing up. I never understood why Jesus died. I heard Jesus died for our sins, never knew what it meant until one night years ago. I've been a Christian now over 50 years. Came to know Christ in January 1959. And one night God just opened my understanding to the truth that Jesus Christ is God, God the Son who became a man, he went to the cross, and as he was hanging there, God knew all about me. David Nicholas, every sin I have committed, I will commit. And in his love for me, 2,000 years ago, he took those sins, my sins, and he put them on his son. The one who knew no sin became sin for me. And the Father then poured out his wrath on Jesus. God has to punish your sin, my sin, and in his love for us, he punished our sin in Jesus. And Jesus took the wrath of God for me. He died. His body's put into a tomb. On the third day, he came back from the dead. He overcame sin and death. 
When that good news came to me 50 years ago, and by God's grace, the Holy Spirit opened my understanding, I said, I get it. And I said, Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. I ask you to forgive my sins and give me that gift of life eternal with yourself. God took me from death to life by his grace, by his power. And I belong to him forever. Are you a Baptist? Oh, you're Presbyterian? Oh, good. Okay. Good. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> anyway, God raised me from the dead. And that's what God is doing all over this world. I just met with some of I've been involved in church planning for years, and it's been one of the great joys of my life to see churches spring up where the gospel is being preached. You've gotten involved with some of the stuff we're doing in Haiti, and it's phenomenal. Thousands of people who have come to know Christ there because the gospel is going forth. Churches are being built that are self-supporting churches. Anyway, it is phenomenal. And God says that he is showing forth his wisdom to angelic beings, and he's doing it through us, the church. The fact that we're the ones who were dead in our trespasses and sins, and by his grace and power, he has made us alive. Nobody can do that by God. All Satan can do is kill and destroy. God can take that which has been killed and make it alive forevermore. That is what our God is doing in this world. He's doing it through the gospel. And that's why Paul was so excited about being an ambassador of the gospel, going forth and telling people what God has done. Because all over this world, people are being taken from death to life. As they hear the bad news and the good news, God the Holy Spirit works through that and transforms people by his power. And this phenomenal verse, God is saying, this is my purpose. This is what I'm doing. I am demonstrating to angelic beings that I alone am God. There's none like me. And it is being demonstrated in the church. And we are God's demonstration to those angelic beings, which is really interesting to think about how seriously you take the Lord. How seriously we are on board with him and what he is doing in reaching out. I love evangelism. I love to share the bad news and the good news. And I have got story after story of people whose lives have been transformed, not by me, but by the power of God through the gospel. And that's what we're about. And I want to leave you with that today. That we have this tremendous joy and privilege of being God's demonstration to angelic beings, that he alone is God. And we demonstrate that as we show forth his life on a daily basis. Okay, Chip, I'm done. Pray. We're out of here. Okay. <laughs> Father, we praise you for what you have done on our behalf to make it possible for us to be taken from death to life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, God the Son, for doing what you did, for taking the punishment for us so that we now are able to relax in you, to know that we are safe and secure in you forever, and that you will continue to work in and through us to accomplish your purposes, the purposes that you have for each one of us on this earth. Until that day when we see you face to face, we thank you for that. Continue to bless this church. We thank you for this ministry. Just encourage them by your truth, by your gospel. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.